All right, as Bruce said, our scripture this morning is in Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Uh, on the screen you can see, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 651. Pastor Bruce continues a series called Triumphant Living. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we come with thankful hearts, grateful this morning of your power and your sacrifice, God, that you conquered death, and that through you we can have a triumphant life. Lord, just remind us who you are, how good you are, God, and that uh, you love us, you came to save us. God, just change our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Before we begin, let me just throw out a challenge to you. And uh, as, as, as you know, as, as we said here, we're, we're doing this series on Romans chapter 8, uh, what has arguably been described as the, the greatest chapter in all of God's Word. It consists of 39 verses that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, really summarizing everything he wrote in Romans chapters 1 through 7. Romans 8 is, is the heart of that summary. It's the heart of the gospel. It contains a lot of truth, life-changing truth, truth on how to live triumphantly as a, as a Christ follower. So before we begin, I just want to throw out a challenge to you, is to read Romans chapter 8, to read these 39 verses, to familiarize yourself with them, to let them kind of sink into your heart and let God kind of do something with you through his word, through his spirit. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Chris led us in the entire reading of Romans chapter 8, all 39 verses. And so now my challenge is for you to take up that reading yourself. Whether you just read it, you know, maybe one section at a time, five verses at a time, or if you read just one time this week, all 39 verses at once. But one time each week for the next 12 weeks to read Romans chapter 8. And uh, because that's what we're going to be focusing on in this study. Now, this morning I want to begin with a statement. And then we'll, we'll talk about this statement. In fact, this whole message will be an explanation and an application of that statement from the first four verses here in Romans 8. So here's the statement. New life in Christ is not a superior religion. It is God's alternative to human religion. You see, at best, religion tries to enforce morality in our lives. But human religion cannot change our hearts. And that's a real problem. Because if God is who he says he is, and by the way, he is, and if we are who God says we are, and by the way, we are, then we desperately need to change. But how? How do we go about changing our lives? Well, in his great love for us, God is now doing what religion cannot do. He is changing us 
from the inside out. He's liberating us from the failure of religion. What you could even call the law, as we're going to see here in a few minutes. And He is recreating in us the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But how now do people in our world, in our culture, how do people try changing their lives? What methods do they approach? What do they use? What do they do? Well, there are basically two approaches to life change. Notice this on the screen, coming up on your notes here. Two approaches to life change. The first approach is law, or there is grace. And it really boils down to those two approaches. People would never call it law or grace. You ask people at work, hey, how are you changing your life? You've got this issue, how are you changing? They're not saying, well, I'm going to try to change by law. They don't say that. They don't express it in that way. So we don't call it law. In fact, many of us, we don't even, as believers, we don't say, I'm trying to change by grace. And yet we believe in grace, God's grace. So we may not verbalize it as law or grace, but when you analyze all the ways that we try to change, or at least that our culture tries to change, it boils down to these two. These two approaches. It's either law or by grace. And we're going to see that one works and one doesn't work. Now law, what is that? What are we talking about here? What is Paul talking about here? Because he mentions this word quite often. Well, law with a capital L is God's law. We know it as the Ten Commandments, but it's all of God's commandments in the Bible. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, verse 3 here. And according to Romans 7, the chapter before this, in verse 12, Paul says that God's law, his moral law, it is holy, it's righteous, it's just, it's good. So just imagine with me for a moment, what if just for just one day, everyone on the face of the earth obeyed the Ten Commandments? Man, can you imagine what that day would be like? It'd be the greatest day in all of human history if that would ever happen. So the problem is not the law. Paul tells us this in Romans 7. The problem is not the law, but what Paul calls the flesh. And he uses this term quite often. In fact, we're going to talk about the flesh next Sunday a lot. After all, the law tells us right and wrong, but it doesn't change us. And that's why trying to change by the law doesn't work, because it can't change us. It only condemns us. And then the law is not only God's commandments in the Bible, but there's kind of this law, small l, that's kind of within inside of us. This law acts as a kind of an accusing voice within us accusing ourselves and even accusing other people. This law may be religious in nature. It may be secular in nature. Uh, religious law says things like, hey, follow our rules and God will bless you. God will like you. Uh, secular law says things like, here are three steps to a more balanced life. Here are our five keys to a successful future. Here are seven secrets to a new you. In other words, there's a lot of law in our culture today. We don't call it law. We know it as the self-help industry. In the self-help industry, let me tell you, it's all law. It's all about law. It appeals to our pride. 
It offers practical tips for living life. And you know what? Sometimes those tips work. They work a little bit at the level of outward behavior. But neither the law of God nor the law of our culture or the law of man can change us from the inside out. It can't change our hearts. And that's where we need to change, deep down where we feel our guilt, guilt from sin. So that's law. It's one approach to life change, but it doesn't help. It doesn't work. The other way for us to change is the grace of God. And it meets us where we're at, and it takes us to life change. It changes us from the inside out. It meets our deepest need. The grace of God does not just say to us, I love you just the way you are. It says, I love you for the way Christ is. I love you enough not to leave you the way you are. And grace, get this, grace will triumph over law. It will triumph where the law has failed. And the reason is, oh, this is beautiful, is because the triune God is at work in changing us. Did you notice when Kirk led us in our scripture reading? These first four verses, did you notice the trinity in these verses here? Did you pick up God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit? Listen, all three are at work in our salvation, in our justification, and in our sanctification. In other words, all three are at work in transforming us into the image of God. The triune God here is at work in changing you from the inside out. Now, let me just stop, because I have to warn you, that at first glance, grace doesn't seem as practical as law. Because grace is miraculous. It's God at work, and it's God calling us to trust Him, and to surrender to Him, and put our hope in Him. In other words, grace only works for humble people. Not prideful people. But that's how we change when we admit what we are, and when we hand our lives over to the grace of God. Now, this is a message about life change. It is not just for some of us. Because right now, there's probably some of us who think, man, I'm glad, man, I'm glad we're looking at this because I know some people here that need to change. I'm sitting by one of those persons. All right? So immediately, I want to just, you know, clear away the fog of that thinking here. This is not a message just for some of us in this auditorium. This is a message for all of us here this morning because we all need to experience life change. God wants to transform every one of us here this morning, right? So why don't you tell your neighbor, I need to change. Go ahead. Admit it to your neighbor. I need to change. Now, the question then becomes, well, how, how in the world does God change me? How does God transform us? And that's what I want to show you from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, is how God transforms our lives from the inside out through his grace, not law. Let's look at it. Number one, God sets us free to live a changed life in Christ. God sets us free 
to live a changed life in Christ. Think about it. For a sinful person like me, for a sinful person like you to really experience life change, is that not a mega miracle? That is a mega miracle. But that's, get this, what the gospel can do for you. The gospel announces to announces that all you bring to the table is sin and guilt. But you know what God brings? Love and grace. So God moves toward you not in judgment but in mercy because his wrath was poured out at the cross of Christ, which means Jesus lived a life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserve to die. And when you receive this gospel, this glorious gospel by faith, you know what God does? He places this banner over your head that declares on your life no condemnation. Beautiful, isn't it? Motivating, isn't it? What a glorious truth that now sets us free to live triumphantly. In other words, it's a, it's a truth that sets us free to live the kind of life that God wants us to live in Him. As Paul writes in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now... Oh, that was pathetic. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. So much better. But the qualifier is to those who are in Christ. Why? Well, Paul now tells us why in verse 2. Look at it. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, or set me free, from the law of sin and death. Now, what is this? What's Paul talking about? Paul, in essence, is describing here our new relationship with God. And it's grace, not law. Paul gives us only two alternatives here. He gives us life in the Spirit or death under the law. And the difference between them is marked by this simple little verb, made free or set free. So who or what sets us free from the law of sin and death that we are under? It's the grace of God. But specifically, it's the grace of God in Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit. See, I told you it was the Trinity at work in this. But isn't it interesting that Paul calls this new relationship that we have with God, isn't it interesting that he calls it the law of the spirit of life in Christ? I, I, I thought I was free from one law. But has God now traded one law for another law? Well, in a way, yes. You see, the law of sin and death is how Paul sums up his life in Romans chapter 7. The law of God confronted him. The law of God exposed him, and it frustrated him, and in the end, it finally condemned him. The law, that law, was chiseled into stone tablets. We know it as the Ten Commandments. And it was unbending, it was cold, it was hard, and it's heavy. And Paul, he tried as a Pharisee, or as, uh, he tried to live up to this law, God's law. But Paul himself failed miserably. And he hated himself for failing. And so like Paul, I think we could say, man, we've all experienced this vicious cycle of the law of sin and death. 
because we try so hard to live up to it, and we fail so miserably at it. You see, that's the Old Covenant, a term you're maybe not familiar with, and I don't have time to get into it, but that's basically what it is. It's the Old Covenant, and it doesn't help. It doesn't solve our deepest issues. Nothing but grace helps sinners, and that's what God gives us now in the New Covenant. God promised in the New Covenant to take away our guilt and send His Spirit to write the goodness of the law into our hearts. It's what the prophet Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 31. In other words, it is God's Spirit now who makes us alive. It's God's Spirit who changes our hearts, which is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be what if you want to enter the kingdom of God? You've got to be born of God, born again, not by flesh, but by the Spirit of God. You see, when God's Spirit comes in, it begins to make us alive, it changes our heart, and as a result, we find ourselves all of a sudden with this new craving, this new love for God, a desire to grow, a willingness to serve God and put Him first. Listen, I don't know about you, but only God's Spirit can make me like that. Only God's Spirit can change me to have that kind of desire. Only God's Spirit can make us like that. And that's why God called, or Paul calls it, the law of the Spirit of life. Because before Christ, before coming to Christ, I was dead. But now in Christ, the Spirit makes me alive. Regeneration, born again. And it happens in Christ. And so God, get this, provides everything you now need to live a changed life. How? Through the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what verse 1 is all about. And the wonder-working power of the Spirit. That's what verses 2 is about in verse 4. And as we're going to see, verses 5 through 11. Which means, get this now, all of this is now to say this. The most important thing about you at this moment in history, on this date, February 9th, 2014, the most important thing about you is whether or not you are set free in Christ. Listen, if you are in Christ, by faith in Christ, you are set free from the condemnation of your sins. And the condemnation of your sins, the penalty of that was death, eternal death, spiritual death. And you are now set free to live a changed life. Until you are set free from death, you can't live life. Oh, we think, many people in this world think they're living life, don't they? But it's not real life. It's not the kind of life that God wants to give us. That God's purpose that he had for us from the very beginning. You see, until you are set free from the law of death, you cannot begin to live the kind of life that God has for you. Nelson Mandela died last year on December 5th. I'm sure some of you are aware of that. He spent over 27 years in prison. And after spending, get this, 10,000 days of his life incarcerated, he finally walked from his South African cell to freedom. And he writes in his autobiography, and I quote, 
as I finally walked through those gates, I felt, even at the age of 71, that my life was beginning anew. Well, that's what Paul is saying right here. If you're in Christ, your life has begun anew. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Do you see how life-changing this is? This means the most important thing about you is not the sins that you may or may not commit. It's not the good deeds you may or may not do. It's not what law you may or may not keep. The most important thing about you this morning is whether or not you are set free to live a changed life in Christ. Have you been set free? And being set free... To live a changed life, get this, is only made possible because of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our second point. God sent his son to bring about life change for us. Look what Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 3 here. He says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Now, I just, I love that phrase. That's an amazing phrase. And we're going to look at what that means here in a minute. So what did God do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? On account of sin. And what did God do? Through his son Christ, he condemned sin in the flesh. So what does this mean? Well, it simply means that what the law could not do, God did. Beautiful. Folks, that's the glorious gospel. What the law could not do, God did. Man, that's beautiful. You see, there are only two ways to be saved and to be changed. And it's either by law or by grace. So let's break it down here. What the law could not do, God did. First of all, number one, notice this. Life change does not and cannot come through the law of God. If life change is to happen by the law, then you know what is necessary? Perfect obedience. There can be no shortcomings, for the law will never show mercy. It knows nothing of grace. It knows nothing of forgiveness. The law is relentless. The law demands absolute obedience and perfection. Because if you break any tiny part of the law, then you break all of God's law. So, in other words, it's perfection or it's nothing. There's no in-between. You want to try and earn salvation? You want to try and earn your way into a right relationship with a holy God? Good luck. Because you must be perfect at it. Because doing your best is not good enough. And good intentions are never enough. So what is the law powerless to do then in our lives? The law is powerless to save us and change us. Paul writes in Galatians 2.16, By works of the law, no one will be justified. Listen, here's the deal of being justified. In other words, the law cannot put us in a right relationship with God. That's what means being justified is all about. When I'm declared righteous... God justifies me. He now puts me in a right relationship with him. Listen, the law only knows how to do one thing. 
and that's to condemn us. And it's relentless and unforgiving in this task. Not because the law in itself is sinful. Remember what Paul says about the law. The law is what? It's good, it's righteous, it's just, it's holy. Now why is the law so powerless to transform us then? Well, Paul tells us the law when he says, why? When he says the law was weak through the flesh. In other words, the problem here, here's what Paul's identifying for us. He's saying that the law is not the problem. The problem is our flesh. The law is good, but we are what? We're sinful. So now the law is powerless to save us and change us because of the weakness of our sinful flesh. Because of our sin nature, we have neither the desire, but more importantly, we don't even have the ability to fulfill the law's righteous demands. Which means the law, you know what it does? It just exposes us for who we are. It just exposes our sinfulness. The law is kind of like a mirror. When you stand in front of a mirror, what do you see? Well, what you see is what you get, right? Mirror doesn't lie. You wake up in the morning, stand in front of a mirror, man, it reveals the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in the morning, it's a little more on the ugly. All right? The law is like a mirror that reveals our sinful lives. But notice, it has no power to redeem our sinful lives. This is why the law cannot save you and change you. It can only condemn you. Now, let's stop and be honest about this for a moment. The flesh, that is me, before Christ, you know how I'm born, I'm born a sinner, just my flesh, my sinfulness, my sin nature, my thinking, everything about me, the flesh here, man, you know what, it can appear pretty promising, can't it? The flesh can even feel somewhat virtuous at times. The Pharisees proved that, did they not? I mean, we all know some good moral people. And when you look at their lives, you're like, man, they're not too bad, they're pretty good. And yet they're unbelievers. They're not, they haven't been born again. And so the flesh can appear promising. It can feel virtuous. But listen, those virtues of the flesh, they still fall way short of God's standard. As one author calls it, we're all capable of producing horrible goodness in the flesh. I mean, give me three meals a day, eight hours of sleep at night, a KU win tomorrow night, and I can be good. I can be pretty good for at least five minutes at a time. Right? And so can you. And I can do that in my flesh. But it's still the horrible goodness of the flesh. And it only conceals my real sinfulness within. So don't be deceived into thinking that you measure up by the law. That you don't need changing by the grace of God. That you can attain it on your own in your flesh. No, no, no. That is deceptive thinking. That's law keeping. 
And law-keeping is powerless to save. And that's why we need grace. Which brings us to the second point here. Life change comes through the grace of God. It comes through the grace of God. God did what the law could not do. And what did God do for us? Well, Paul tells us in verse 3. Look at it one more time. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now what Paul is telling us here, because this is beautiful, listen to him, pay attention. Paul is telling us about the most gracious, glorious thing that's ever happened in all of humanity. We celebrate it every year. God sent his son on a mission. Our only hope for life change came down from heaven, from outside of our culture of sin management, image enhancement, and self-improvement strategies. And we need to know two things about Jesus and His mission here. Number one, Jesus came, Paul says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. But notice that Paul does not say Jesus came in the likeness of flesh. Now, We're getting kind of deep here a little bit on the wording that Paul uses, but it's important. I want you to understand this. Paul doesn't say Jesus came in the likeness of flesh. That would question the humanity of Jesus if he said that. That would imply that Jesus wasn't really flesh and blood, that he wasn't human. Nor does Paul say that Jesus came in sinful flesh. That would question the sinlessness of Jesus. That would imply that Jesus was sinful like us. No, no, no. Paul is telling us here something very important about Christ. He is telling us that Jesus came down among us and he became human like us, but not entirely like us. And folks, that's a good thing. In other words, when Jesus came down, and dwelt among us, and became human like us, but not entirely like us. He was perfect, and he was without sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, here's the question, why? Why, then, did Jesus have to come? Oh, that's one of the greatest questions that you could ever begin to grapple with. And the answer is, Paul tells us here, very simple, with a little simple statement, Jesus came on account of sin. Jesus, in other words, came because we are sinners. He came to redeem us from our sin. He came to die as a sacrifice for our sin in order to condemn sin in the flesh once and for all. You see, we sinned in what? Well, in our bodies, in our flesh, right? Therefore, sin had to be condemned in the flesh. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. In other words, God's grace didn't overlook our sin. God's grace didn't ignore our sin. God did what the law could not do. He sent His Son to condemn our sin in the flesh with His death on the cross. And that's now why 
Paul can say in Romans 8, 1. That's why he can declare, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now, let's just stop and think about this for a moment. Because this is the difference between life in Christ and death in sin. What does this mean, practically speaking? Because we've dealt with some heavy topics here. So I just want us to step back and like, all right, what's this mean for me? What's the implication here? What's the big deal about this? What's this mean for me today, right now? This truth, this glorious gospel truth. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. It simply means this. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, not law-keeping, if you want to experience new life in Christ. If you want God to change you from the inside out. If you want salvation and sanctification, trust Jesus, not law-keeping. If you want to be set right with God, don't look to the law. If you want to be set free from condemnation, don't depend on law-keeping. Why? Because as we've already said, no amount of law-keeping can turn the verdict of guilty, which is what we are in our sinfulness, to not guilty. Only one thing can change that verdict that hangs over your head, and that's God's living and dying in your place. And so now, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, what He did on the cross for you to save you, you know what God does? God now calls you righteous in Christ. He declares you righteous in Christ, and He sets you free. You are free in Christ, but not just to stay like that. You're free in Christ now to begin to live life changed the way God intended. You are set free. And God did it because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's awesome. As Paul writes in Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Oh, oh. It's, it's amazing. So trust Jesus. Not law-keeping. Because life change comes through the grace of God in the Son of God. But wait, God's grace doesn't stop with His Son. It continues with His Spirit. Get this, number three. God gives His Spirit now to empower life change in us. You see, God justifies you in order to sanctify you. In other words, God sets us free in grace in order to get us moving in His grace. Because He has a purpose for our lives. He wants to conform us to the image of His Son Jesus. He wants to be glorified through that. Therefore, God does not set us free to live as we wish. No, God sets us free to live righteous lives for Him. And according to Romans 8, 4, God sent His Son, and God gives His Spirit that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, this verse can be understood in two ways. 
One way is to view it as a statement of what Christ achieved on the cross for you. And what did Christ fulfill on the cross? What did he achieve on the cross? He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Therefore, in Christ, I have fulfilled the law. In Christ, the law is fulfilled in me because of what Christ did. He fulfilled the righteous requirements. That's one way to view it. And that is certainly true. Man, that is a blessed truth. And while this is certainly true, I think Paul is emphasizing another side to this truth. And that is our fulfillment of the law. Not by keeping the law, not in our own flesh, because that's an impossibility, but our own fulfillment of the law, get this, through now the power of his spirit. In other words... Paul is making a very positive statement about God's law here. It's still in force. And our failures to obey the law don't nullify it. In fact, our failures only make God's power absolutely vital in our lives. So the moment you trust Christ, get this, the Spirit begins to go to work in your life. He begins to change you from the inside out. And as you rely on God's Spirit, as you walk according to the Spirit, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in you. Not perfectly, but progressively. Now, this is a win-win situation for us. God has set us free from the condemnation of our sins in Christ so that now we can obey God's laws in the Spirit. As I said, not perfectly, but progressively. Not as one who is condemned under the law, but as one who is set free to obey the law with a changed heart in the power of the Spirit. Do you want to change? You want to experience real change from the inside out? Then forsake trying to change in your own power because it will only make you worse. It will frustrate you. It will discourage you. It will depress you. Instead, trust Jesus, and God will replace the virtues of your flesh and the vices of your flesh with the fruit of His Spirit. Which we talked about all last summer. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 5. And if you are in Christ, then you are no longer merely just, get this, in the flesh as Paul writes in Romans 8 9, verse 9 here, but you are in the Spirit. And it's what provides the power to accomplish this. This is the wonderful result of our justification in Christ. Look at it here in your notes. We have been set free to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Paul Paul uses an interesting description for us when we were still lost and we were condemned by our sins. Over in the book of Ephesians, in the second chapter, in verses 1 and 2. He talks about our lives before Christ, before we are in Christ. And he describes it in verses 1 and 2. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But now, by God's grace and the Spirit's power, 
we don't walk that way anymore. Amen? That's a glorious thing. Oh, we still struggle with sin. We learned that last Sunday. All you got to do is read Romans 7. Yes, we still struggle with sin. And we may even fall into sin in gross ways. But listen, folks, we don't walk in it, we don't live in it, or spend our lives in it. That is not compatible with those who are in Christ and the Spirit dwells within them. The two don't match up. And as Paul writes in Romans 6, 2, it is impossible for those who have died to sin to continue living in it. Think of it this way. God, in His grace, has replaced the best that we can do. And what is the best that we can do? What is pull your bootstraps up, muster up all the energy you got within you, and what is the best that you can do? Walk according to the flesh. That's the best that we have to offer, is to walk according to the flesh. And get this, God has now replaced the best that we can do, which is walk according to the flesh, with the best that He can do, which is now walk according to the Spirit. Listen, Christianity is not an improved version of human morality and religion. It is a miracle of God through and through. So do not think here this morning, oh, I have the Spirit, but I still have problems. What good does grace do me? Oh, no, don't think that way. Think instead, I have problems, but I also have the Spirit. Therefore, I have hope. Remember, we've been set free to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And this word walk tells us it's a practical moment by moment, day by day, walking step by step. And the words according to tell us there is a guide to follow. In the words the Spirit reminds us that there is someone with power to help us change. We'll look at this more next in the, next, in the coming weeks. But let me just stop as we conclude here. Everything I've said so far, everything that Paul's written here so far, is only possible if Romans 8 verse 2 is true of you. So I end with one simple question for you to think about, for you to contemplate and consider. Is Romans 8-2 true for you? Can you say with Paul, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death? If Romans 8.2 is not true for you, if you're still living in the bondage of the law of sin and death, if you are not yet set free from the condemnation of sins, listen, turn to Jesus and trust Him for your salvation. Remember, the most important thing about you is whether or not you are set free in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you are set free from the condemnation of your sins. And you are set free to now start living a changed life by the power of the Spirit. What a beautiful gospel we have. Do you want to change by law? Go for it. Not for me. 
Man, I'll take grace every day, every hour. And we're going to see what else in the weeks to come, what the grace of God, this gospel of God does for us. I want to end, though, with a video that shows us through a song and with visual images what the gospel can do for you when it sets you free to live a changed life. Listen, when that happens, God can begin to do beautiful things in your life. That's what the gospel can do for you. Man, that is so powerful. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, and perhaps you're here and you have yet to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have yet to place your faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done on the cross for you. Let me encourage you to do that right now. In fact, I want to lead you in a prayer built on what the gospel can do for you. And you don't have to pray these words. You can express them in your own words, how the Spirit is directing your own heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm by nature a rebel. And I find more pleasure in what you made than in you. And I am sick and corrupt. Oh, Christ, how plain is it to me now that I need something so much deeper and more powerful and more personal than the law. I know your law is good, but I am flesh and powerless to obey. And so, Lord Jesus, I turn away from the law to you because you are my only hope. I turn away from my own resources and I bank on your blood and righteousness for acceptance and on your help for holiness. And I turn away from all earthly pleasures and take you and you alone as the all-satisfying joy of my life. And I renounce Satan and all his ways and all his works. And I repent of all the sins I know and those you know and I don't. And Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on me and open the eyes of my heart to see you as you really are in all of your surpassing beauty. I pray that you would display your grace to me in the gospel. And what I see and know of you now, I embrace with all my heart. And I receive you as my Savior and Lord and ask you to dwell mightily in me and make yourself the victor in my life. Amen. The praise team's going to sing just one chorus, and as they do, let me encourage you to respond to the gospel. Run to the cross of Jesus Christ and by faith cry out to him and ask him to save you and declare you righteous.